0: for the past few weeks we've been trying to ask the bible hey what do you mean by blessed cuz i hear that a lot i'm sure you hear it too i see uh, facebook posts that say blessed i'm blessed i see t-shirts that say #blessed and i know what we have in we intend when we say that there's there's usually something uh, that's comfortable that's happened or a breakthrough and those are indeed and in true blessings But we wanted a fuller picture of what that means. And so the word blessing in Scripture can often take us in places we didn't think were blessed. For instance, week one, Psalm 1, if you really want to be blessed, you stop trusting yourself. for lack of a better word, you, you don't follow your heart. Because that will lead us into, well, places that will... Eventually, disintegrate us. Why? Because we need help. And what the Bible offers is itself. And it says, the blessed person flees to the Word of God. That's where they find life, they meditate upon it. Second week was the blessed person is a one of confession. They pray. They they pray to God to forgive them of sins. They own the fact that the Lord does forgive and they're free to share that. They cleanse out their system, so to speak. That's a blessed person. That was Psalm 32. Last week, Psalm 34, blessed is the person who gathers for worship, who's able to adore God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to see outside of themselves. This week, the blessing has to do with, well, thinking big, like getting outside of the box, thinking beyond just your experience and church walls. The blessed person is the person who, well, comes in with what God is up to in the world. That's what Psalm 67 is about. It's a poem. It's a song. It's meant to stir the imagination. But strangely, what stirs them up is, well, they're looking at food, food. Let's read it and try to make sense of it. The people saying this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for You judge the peoples with equity and You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise You. O God, let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Big prayer, big dream, big hope. Let's pray and ask God to instill it in our hearts. Lord, as we pause this morning to read Your Word, we ask that You would grant us the grace of... Knowing You, knowing You better, knowing ourselves better. And Lord, how You've reached down into our lives and You have saved us. Not because of the things we've done, but strictly because of Your mercy. We pray, Lord, that would translate into hearts that love and love to share. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the favorite proverbs I learned living overseas came from the Shawna tribe. Uh, they're mainly found in Zimbabwe, but it's it's a thought that resonates everywhere. It it goes something like this: in in Moto Unugukwa, which literally means knowledge, it's like a live coal, a coal of fire. Knowledge is like a live coal. Now, the picture is to envision a dark village, which at night in Africa it goes dark. And the fire is, of course, central to their very existence. Most places in that continent, the, dailies, the day activity is to still go out, gather up sticks and wood, create a fire, and then cook it. It takes all day. But the task of gathering the wood usually falls on a young girl, like a 12-year-old, who in at least the scheme of their society would be the least, the least regarded the least powerful, etc. So she would go out and gather the day's wood and there begin to make a fire. And if you've ever made a fire from scratch, it's not always so easy. And the idea is that the fire begins to burn and the longer it burns, it begins to create this, well, hot burning coals. The kind, you know, where the ash covers it, but then you blow on it and you can see it like vibrate warm red. The idea there is that she's gone to the labor of creating this fire and it's warming and it's beautiful and it's hypnotic because fire catches our eyes and attention. But The idea is she's got something good. She's, she's beholding something wonderful and life-giving. And so the idea is knowledge is like that. People come when they see that vibrant warmth and they take some of her coals To go start their fire. And of course, the idea is that when you've started your fire, another and another and another, so a dark village suddenly becomes, well, bright with light. That's what Psalm 67 is essentially saying. The people of God have been given a marvelous warm fire we call the gospel. And the more they joy over the gospel, the good news in their lives, it just gets shared. And it's not only something you do, it's something you are a part of. And that's what it means to be part of the people of God. So here are my three points this morning. The gospel broadens our reason to live. We all need a reason to live. What's yours? Well, knowing the gospel broadens our reason to live. The gospel also will widen our reasons to love, particularly the loveless. And then third, the Gospel deepens our reason to give. Christians are always wanting to give or ask to give. Why? Why should I do that? First, the Gospel broadens our reason to live. If you look at verse 1, these words probably sound kind of familiar. It's a prayer. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. They're, They're remembering something that they've heard a lot. It was the blessing that God gave to the priest Aaron during the Exodus. And he gave that blessing to say, this is what you speak over your people. This is God's posture toward these hard headed, stubborn people. That's my posture toward them. I want them to continually and repetitively remember that I'm gracious to them and I bless them and I'll go a step farther. Make my face holy, brilliant, Fire shine upon you. That's, that's a sense of repeating the gospel. But Aaron got that prayer because God had said something to another man hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, named Abraham. Abraham lived in what today would be something like Iraq, and he was a pagan, which means he wasn't the greatest of guys. and God called him. Not because of who Abraham was, but because God had this marvelous plan to infect the world with his blessing, with his goodness, with his message. And so Abraham was called and God said particularly, I'm now blessing you so that you will be a blessing. Here's the point. The people of God are locating themselves in God's story. That's what it's encouraging us to do. To think of your life as more than just what the the song from the 90s, I can't remember who sang it, the 90s was kind of a weak point in music history, but there was a song that was very memorable because it said the same things over and over. Four words, birth, school, work, death. And that was the only lyrics, over and over and over. Birth, school, work, death. Now they were presenting a portrait of what life is. humdrum. Routine, almost like being in prison, and the only liberation is when finally it's over. Your whole life consists of four stages, birth, school, work, death. What the Bible is trying to call God's people to is those things happen, but that's not your life. That's not why you're here. You're part of something grander. The the promise that came to Abraham that is reinforced in the liberating epic of the Exodus and carries right through to Christ and the Gospel. That's what you're a part of. You and I have a perspective these people didn't even have. This, This psalm was sung during what's called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. That was 50 days after the Passover. 50, weeks after, 50 days after the Passover. It was a celebration of the harvest that God had provided food, barley, wheat, and they would gather in and they would look at what had been produced by the land and they would thank God. But in doing so, God was, well, leading us to something bigger. Acts chapter 2 happens at Pentecost. Pentecost. And it's there that the promise of Abraham goes global. I don't know if you remember that, but in Acts 2, it was a strange scene where people started babbling in what they call tongues. All kinds of languages, and yet people understood what they were saying. Well, if you look at Abraham and you put that together, what you're seeing is, well, the reversal of the curse of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel? The people of God, I mean, the people just decided they were going to build a tower to God. That they were going to be self-important, self-made men. And God, to humble them, scattered them. and confused the languages. And The nations were dispersed. And so there was never this connection between them. And then in that midst, He calls Abraham. And the reversal begins. And when you get to Acts 2, you see here's God's purposes being folded out. The harvest song sung here is translating into a bigger harvest that God's people are part of. We open this service with a vision of where it all goes. Revelation 7. We're around the throne of God. Every tongue and tribe and nation gathered in praise to God. That's, That's what you're a part of. And that's what the Gospel calls us to. Jesus saves us Not merely that we would have a personal relationship with Him, but that we would learn that we participate. We are participants in God's humongous work to redeem the world. So yes, birth, school, work, death, but oh so much more. Your life is so much more. Gospel of God broadens our reason to live. What's your reason? What gets you up? in the morning? Is it just money? Is it just the journey to next Saturday? Those are good things, but there's more. God has called you in to participate in something huge. You, as one of my professors used to say, you're part of God's conversation with the world. You're not the conversation. And what you present as the gospel is not the end. It's you're part of God's Conversation with other people. That's the broadened life. Second, the Gospel seems to widen our reason to love. It, it's very interesting that they're, they're celebrating the harvest. These are rural agrarian people. And that, that means they've gotten their paychecks. And as they get their paychecks, they begin to think about the ways God has blessed them with livelihood. But it's interesting That the moment they want to focus in on themselves, there's an immediate looking outward. You could almost say this, God brings His blessings to people so that they will cease to think about themselves. And in that, Philippians 2, we, we actually begin to get a taste of what the Gospel is. Jesus, what did He do? He set aside His privilege, considered others more significant than Himself. And it's because of that every knee would bow before Him. And He calls us to, to participate in that. But it's an interesting idea. Verses 3-5, to five, you see these prayers. It's, let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad, for you judge people with equity. Under your rule, life will thrive. Apart from your rule, devastation. That's the prayer. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 7, let the peoples praise you. Here's the significant word in there, peoples, peoples. Their prayer is for peoples, nations, outside of themselves. That the good news of God's blessing would actually be spread abroad, as we sang earlier. People to us, well, probably didn't have as much meaning. We're kind of a global world. We we have access to how other people live and think because of media and so forth. But back then, peoples was a loaded word. And in fact, I would venture to say that it had to be recorded as a prayer because I doubt it was often the actual experience of people. And there's some evidence of that. Here's what I mean. The peoples refers to, yes, not only other ethnicities, but people of other religions. People of other, well, deviances. When a Hebrew spoke of the nations, he was referring to people that drank blood out of skulls and sacrificed their children to fire gods and uh, celebrated all co- every. Um, the Bible says you shouldn't sleep with an animal. You know why? Because that's what people did. So it's in a, that world, a vile and depraved world, that he's encouraging the people to pray for them, the violent and the crude, the hateful and the perverse. I don't know about you, but it requires a poem. It requires a poem, a vision of other people and God's work in their lives to give me that kind of inspiration. I'm more like Jonah. You remember Jonah? God gave us that story for a good reason. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, San Francisco, New York, Paris, uh, all combined into one. It was the place of filth. It was the place of debauchery. It was the place of violence. Go there, he said. Now what did Jonah do? He went the other way. And God uses that story throughout to, well, impress upon Jonah the sense of God's heart for those kinds of people. What did Jonah forgot? He forgot that he too, outside of the mercy of God, was just as vile. Just as depraved. Just as needy. Just as locked in darkness. At the end of Jonah, there's a, just a strangest story. He goes to Nineveh finally. He preaches and the unbelievable happens. People repent. There's a, this gospel movement. A revival in a wicked place. And at the end of it, you get a sense Jonah didn't like that. It actually upset him. I would imagine he's like me. He's, he's thought, this isn't fair. You just preach some words and people repent and they're okay. And at the end, God, you know, God raises this plant over him. It's, he's in the desert and there's no tree and he's miserable. And so God miraculously creates this plant to grow over him, to provide shade. Uh, just an act of kindness. And then a worm comes and eats the plant. And it's there that Jonah says, I want to die. I have the worst life ever. And I cannot believe because God, you would bless me and take it away. And then that's where God applies the lesson. He says, I want you to hear yourself. You care more about a plant than people made in my image. I have that struggle too. Maybe you do as well. Here's the point of this. The Gospel widens our reason to love. The loveless, shown love by God, can love the loveless. Those who've been forgiven much, love much, is what the Lord Jesus says. It required a missionary, God Himself, to come and bring me to Himself. I otherwise would not have. Now, Lord, how do I view other people? What is God's heart for the lost? That's what He's asking us to get in touch with. As I imbibe upon the wonder of God's goodness toward me, the thoughts of the heart run to, Lord, now would you share this with others? Even the people, Lord, I would consider enemies. Even those I would consider vile. You can. And that's where the prayer runs. Finally, the Gospel deepens our reason to give. We're always talking about giving. To participate, to share. Verse 6, it literally shows us that they're looking at their meal. They're gathering for the feast. And it says, they're looking at it and they say, the earth has yielded its increase. Look at all the stuff Look at all the wheat. Look at all the barley. Look at all the the blessing of God that we physically, tangibly can touch. Like food on a plate, it is suggesting, is this reason to remember the gospel. And every time we eat, that's what this psalm is saying. Oh, remember the good blessing of God. Not just the food you eat, but the fact that He has brought to you the very bread of life. But it's there in the midst of that again. The harvest has been yielded. I've received my paycheck. I made the cheerleading squad. I got into my favorite college choice. All of those things that come to us in blessing is this cause to bubble up and over, to spill over into uh, goodness, uh, to redirect, I guess, the trajectory of how we think of our stuff. I'm looking at a room of some of the most talented and at least globally wealthy, materially wealthy people on the face of the earth. You may not think of yourself that way, just means you hadn't traveled. But you are among, of course, I say it all the time, the 1%. But it's not only in terms of finances, the talents and the access to things that you and I have is such a blessing. God has made you wealthy. He's also made us wealthy in, well, liabilities. One of the things God always does is He surprises us with who and how He will use His gospel to infect the earth. And it's always scoundrels. God is constantly taking people who are broken, torn apart, hurt, destroyed, and He wields that Who who better to bring the glory of the gospel to an addict than an addict? Who better to speak of the the difficulties and the the challenges of marriage than those who've torn apart? Who, Who better to reach into the lives of the grieving than those who grieve? That's what God does. And so, in a strange way, God will always take what, what has been bestowed upon us and He'll employ it. And that's their prayer there. There's a great uh, epitaph on a grave. It's a little saying. Uh, he, he was an heir to the Borden fortune. William Borden. And he's, he, he was a student at Princeton and Yale. Very educated. But he decided the Lord was calling him to serve Muslims. In China, of all places. And so he went to Egypt to begin to train, but before he could even get out of the gate, he died. He had given away every ounce of his inheritance, and his family disowned him. And in an obscure place now, in a Christian graveyard in Egypt, you can find his tomb, and on it it reads these words, Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for this life. Isn't that beautiful? Like you can't understand why or how someone would say, you know what? God gave me all this to bless others. Even my own life. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a lie. Hear this. The Gospel where God has been gracious and He's blessed you and He's made His face to shine upon you is inviting us to participate in what He's up to. And if you come like these people are and you stare at the blessings and you say, that's the gospel. God has been good to me. God has been forgiving to me. God has been merciful to me. It will broaden your reason to live. You'll begin to see yourself as part of something big, kind of like we do with our football teams. It's silly, isn't it, when you hear people talk about Saturday's college football game and they say, We did well. We did poorly, but that's the sense. You're being broad. It is a we you're part of God's work to broaden your life. There's also the beauty to broaden a reason to love. Jesus talked a lot about this. Those who are forgiven, forgive. Those who are loved, love. Those who are shown mercy, show mercy. Finally, the Gospel deepens our reason to give. You begin to see that what God has blessed me with is for me to enjoy and for me to fill up on and then to ask the Lord to do the same and share that with others. Let's pray. Lord, as we close this morning, we thank You for psalms like Psalm 67. Lord, we're we're amazed that we're sitting in a room where 3,000 years ago, the people that gathered and prayed this prayer, Lord, could only dream, they would be shocked perhaps, that Your name is being proclaimed and worshipped in Brookhaven, Mississippi. And so Lord, as You dumbfounded them, we pray You dumbfound us. And You give us a greater sense, Lord, of not only who You are, but who we are in You. And how You're wielding us to bring honor to Your name, life to the lost, Lord, and to share in Your good work. Thank You for this blessed participation in Christ, we pray. Amen.